Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Welcome everybody back to another episode of The Unapologetic Woman. I am really excited today because we're going to be talking to a clubhouse bestie of mine, someone who I share a lot in common with, but who I really admire as well. Her name is Farida Shahid, and she is the CEO and founder of Sukuva, where she helps parents and caretakers protect their kids online. She also has a podcast of her own called The Accidental Arab, where she talks about life growing up in Saudi Arabia and being a third culture and the experiences that come with that. Thank you, Farida, for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. This is so, so awesome. It's like, you know, a clubhouse bestie. (laughs) (laughs) We met like what? I don't even know how many weeks ago was it, but it was a perfect meeting. I know. I absolutely, the two things that attracted me to your profile was that you're a third culture kid and you love French fries. That was oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I put it. I'm like, someone has to be attracted. It's like a magnet, a potassium magnet. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, when I find people who say that they don't like potatoes, I don't think I can be friends with them. Like, how do you not like potatoes? Yeah. You can't trust them. Absolutely. Yeah. I cut them off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's such a grounding food, but anyways, we're not here necessarily to talk about potatoes, but I mean, we could, but when I met you on clubhouse, which by the way, is an incredible platform. And we're definitely going to, I'm going to definitely ask you about how, your experience around that. But what really, again, had me gravitate to you is that, you know, you've accomplished quite a bit, but yet you're still so incredibly grounded and you're very purpose-driven. You have this like big dream to make an impact in it. And like I said, you know, cybersecurity, Forbes, 30 under 30, incredible accomplishments. And there's definitely a mindset that has to be there in order to get to that position, So I want to know the person behind it. What is driving this passion behind, you know, wanting to help parents create more safe digital places for their kids? It is really my experiences growing up in Saudi. So one of the quotes that I had that they ended up featuring when they announced the people who won was or got on the list was I want to help other people create safe spaces online, much like I had to do in person growing up. And so it really is essentially like puzzle pieces growing up in person. I was one of the only black people in the classroom and I had to figure out where do I fit in? How can I protect my peace? How can I make friends? How can I cut out the toxic people? And so I always put predators and hackers in the toxic category, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, how can we cut them out of our lives so that we can have a safe and peaceful life? And so similar to what we do in person with friends and family and energy and whatever, we want to do that the same thing with our online safety and our online peace, because our digital world is our world. So if we're not protecting that digital space, 
birthdays, then we're going to be uneasy. And then there's trauma that can happen. I don't think that we realize that things that happen online can be traumatic, whether it's cyberbullying, whether it's getting hacked, whether if there's a predator after your child, that is traumatic. So that's where that comes from. You bring up a couple of really interesting points. One, I immediately picked up on how you're really into categorizing and, you know, putting things in a list format in a methodical order. And yes. really like when you're, you're identifying, you know, who are the predators, who are the, the cyber bully people, who are the individuals that are going to create that. So what the other piece that you bring up, that's really interesting is that, you know, recognizing that what happens in real life can actually happen behind a computer screen. And I think that, you know, for a while, especially when computers and internet was still relatively new when I was a young, you know, teenager and had just come out, the idea was that I can hide behind my computer and I can have, you know, my own safe place here. And parents also felt at times that, okay, they're on their computer. They're not outside. I, I know, you know, that's okay. But you bring up a point that we don't necessarily always, you know, recognize that what happens in real life happens on the computer too. Like this digital space can be really scary. Oh, exactly. Exactly what you said, where everything that happens in real life transfers to the online world. I remember where you, we'd both know in like clubhouse rooms where they'd be like, well, there's scammers on the app now, you know, (laughs) (laughs) there are people who are trying to take your business or they're scamming people out of, you know, whatever amount of money. And a lot of us in the theme would always go, yes. And this is a example of what happens in real life. You can't expect to have a platform. You can't expect to be in a digital space and not have what we normally go through in real life come to where we are. It just is never going to happen no matter where you are. And even in our friend groups, right? Or in our family, we see, and it's really interesting to me because the problems we see in the world, we think it's outer problems. And I believe that's the biggest problem with these problems is that we don't (laughs) think that those major issues show up in our family dynamics and our personal dynamics and our thoughts within ourselves in tiny micro ways. And the reason why we don't, we're unable to understand why it happens is because we don't even see it happen in our own life as well. So when you see like, how can someone hate someone of a different color or a different gender, or they love differently, or they pray differently or whatever it is, I'm like, well, look internally within yourself or look internally within your family. It may not be exactly like that. Most times it isn't. That's why you can't see it. But there are examples of you exhibiting similar behavior, but it's not the greater, grander scale. So it's obviously something that's very, really, really minor. But if you were to put a microscope onto it, the essence of that behavior is similar to what you can't understand either. So we really don't understand that. And that's something that I'm really fascinated with. So really what you're talking about is human behavior and just psychology, right? Like it's really looking at even the subconscious to the conscious, like how we are behaving in our everyday that we don't even think about it. We're just kind of making movements. We're just going about our day and we're not seeing how each one of those micro movements is actually a behavior that's impacting the larger society. And that is also existence in online where, you know, which makes sense because it's still, you're dealing with human beings online. It's not like you're talking to a robot, but it's like humans have a really difficult time with, if I don't see you in the tangible and you are just a text or you are just a photo, it feels disconnected. So how do you create that connection so that people do see and realize that 
how I'm showing up in real life is what I'm also contributing to online. I say it starts internally first. And once you become a little bit more self-aware, you understand that a little bit better. So the people who don't get it are the people who aren't self-aware. And when I have moments where I don't get it, I realize, oh, are you being self-aware right now? What's going on internally? So sometimes if I see someone and my first thought is negative of them, and I don't see the positive first, I'm like, what's going on? Are you having a bad day? What did you not do? What, what are you upset about? Because why do I see the negative thing immediately when I see somebody? Now, every now and then it is negative. So it was being really rude or whatever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you got moments, but it is good to always check yourself when you have those moments of like, that's ugly. Or, I don't like that. Are their clothes look weird? Why was that your mm-hmm. first thought? Why wasn't it huh, that's a really nice this. Even if it's you don't like the outfit, but you like their hair or you don't like the way they talk, but you like the, your, their accent or you didn't like what they said, but you get the general point. So it's those type of things. And it's obviously you can't take to the stream. I don't do that every time. So if someone's like hitting someone, I'm not like, well, let's think about the positive. You know? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Right, exactly. But you bring up that that's another great point that you bring up about, you know, the self-awareness piece. And there's degrees of that. And, you know, people may be just at that surface layer of self-awareness and everyone I do believe has some level of it, even if it's like a percentage, but then if you're in a community, if your family and the friends that you keep are, you know, two peas in a pod, you know, everyone who thinks similarly like-mindedness, and then you go online and with all the algorithm that's there, they also kind of fine tune it to give you things that you already think so that it only deepens that engagement. So how do you get out of that? You know, if you're trying to kind of create this protective space online, how do you find a way to get out of your own like-minded way of seeing things? I would say follow people who you don't really agree with. Mm-hmm. And you can trick the algorithm by just not liking anything or liking things that you're opposed to, not completely opposed to, meaning don't like something that you're like, oh, this is absolutely immorally wrong. Right. But if you know that there's like a part of the post, you're like, hmm, just like it anyways, <laughs> whatever, move on. You know what I mean? Because it will just help you see different things. And that's that's number one. But you don't always have to do that. It's, it's very, I don't know, it's a fine line because a lot of us are going through a lot of trauma based off our own experiences. And I don't believe it's our burden to understand the other side all the time. I just don't. Mm. I don't think so. But at the same time, I do believe it is very important for us to understand. And anyone who is able to make that mental room to to give someone the time and place of being able to, you know, say their opinion, I think you should. But if you're at a point, we all go through like points in our life. And I'm at the point where I can hear someone else who I don't agree with. I can be friends with them. I can whatever. I'm okay. It doesn't like it phases me. Sometimes we have a certain we hitting a little. (laughs) (laughs) But at a normal basis, I don't really it's okay if we disagree. I don't I think that's a great friendship. There are certain things is harder for us to disagree on. There are just certain principles where I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this one. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are certain moments in my life where I can't handle that. Like I just cannot handle someone who disagrees with me on x y and z because in this mental space that i met i can't have that energy and that is completely fine so i always say that 
you need to know what season you're in. You need to know, is this a season where I'm open? And the season could be like, no, I'm not talking about three months or whatever. It could be two years, 10 years, 15 years. Shoot. Sometimes someone's whole life, that's their business, whatever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I much prefer it to be an ebb and flow where sometimes I'm open to other times. I realize that my mental health I need to protect my mental health at this certain moment. The whole piece about you don't necessarily always need to understand the other person, but at times you do and how to protect yourself. And so, you know, I've got my three pillars of compassion for self, empathy for others and accountability for both. And in that, I really believe and very much resonate with you where, you know, empathy isn't necessarily meaning that you have to justify your own self and sacrifice your own self in order to hold space for somebody else. Yes, It actually is where, you know, have you first addressed are you ready for this? Can you hold space for this? You know, the goal is not to be a martyr. I say this over and over again. I probably said on this podcast like 20 times already, but it's not to be a martyr. The whole purpose is that you're holding space for yourself and you're growing and then you're helping others rise as well. And by empathy, it's you're creating space where you're able to understand where they came from or what their reasoning may have been or what their blind spots are. And then based on that, and because you're not personalizing it, you can then hold them accountable to what they're speaking about. And, right. you know, and, and that's what it sounds like, even in this online space, you're really trying to do is that, you know, in to protect kids, to protect, you know, and to have parents feel comfortable with their kids being online. It's first holding space about, you know, maybe this parent has gone through really bad cyberbullying. And so now they're coming to space where they're raising their children and they're really hypersensitive to what their child's experience is, but the child doesn't necessarily understand why they're being so restricted compared to their other friends. So how do you manage that with parents when you're talking to your clients, when you're talking to parents about this, how do you help them understand how to hold space and to be able to give their kids the freedom and liberty to play and explore online. I always say like, sit down and listen. And one thing when you're talking that made me think of as someone said like a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it said that it's basically, it's not a full quote, but you can understand what I'm saying based off this conversation. It's there's a reason and not an excuse. So mm -hmm. like when someone does something that's not just good, there's a reason for it, but understanding the reason for them doing it is not an excuse for them doing it. So you can separate the two. So let's just talk about abuse for a second and just abuse in general, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's just abuse. Many people abuse other people, like hurt people. That's a reason. That's not an excuse. So we're not excusing you for abusing someone. But if we want to understand why it led up to this, there's a reason for it. So I would say, and that goes into listening, that's being aware, that's having empathy for their situation, not necessarily sympathy, but empathy. Like, okay, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm there with you in the well. I see where this is going. And I always say it always starts with not the technology, but your connection to your child and understanding their experiences and why do they love the world so much? We recently had a like, conversation with this kid and we were going over like, why do they like the online world? What do they like about it? What games do they like? Well, why do they like those to play these games? Those are things that is really important because it allows you to understand their world and then it shows them that you are listening to them. 
And so when they feel listened to, they're more open and you're, they're able to understand where you're coming from too. So you can say, Hey, you know, mommy or daddy or whatever had this experience. And I'm, Oh, it made me really upset when that happened. So when I see you talking to so-and-so, it makes me really upset because I don't want that to happen to you. So it's really like breaking it down for them so they can understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that you're not the authority. This is not to say that you're their friend because you're not, (laughs) (laughs) right. But it's just to allow that open communication. So I want to shift gears a little bit because, you know, whenever I look at anyone and whatever path that they've taken, it really stems from how they grew up and what experiences that they had and being a third culture kid. And I want to just, you know, I, I like for you to actually define third culture kid for audiences that don't know what that means, but being a third culture kid and growing up all over, you know, the world, how did that influence, you know, your sense of wanting to be on this online space? Because, and, you know, just to preface it with a little, one thing that I know as a third culture kid myself is I'm always looking for a sense of belonging. I'm always looking for a sense of home and I want to connect with other people and I want to create an attachment because it feels like there's always some level of you know, not being fully settled, but yet that's my norm. So I want to know from you, having grown up, you know, as a third culture, how has that influenced this work? So third culture to me is basically someone who, especially if you're talking about third culture kids, is someone who grew up in a culture that's different from their parents and their family. And of course, we can't go too back because if we go too back, then everyone's their culture. <laughs> right, exactly. Because <laughs> how many of us are living and growing up in the same area that our ancestors did? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but more like your parents. And it honestly affected me in many, many different ways. And like you said, I just didn't have much of a sense of belonging for the first eight years of my life. I grew up in Maryland, Maryland, Atlanta. I did go to Egypt for a couple months. So different places, but I always knew that I was black and I was American. But at age of eight years old, I don't know if anyone real, I don't know, maybe someone else could say it's different for them. But for me, I didn't have a sense of, oh, I'm an American. Like I'm a black American. Like I knew I was black because unfortunately I had certain understandings of like, oh, I can't do this because I'm a black girl. Or I remember, I believe it's about the time my mother pulled me out of school. (laughs) (laughs) I came to her one day and I said, mommy, like, you know, I want to be like you. And so she thought it was just this cutest thing. Like, oh, you want to be like, she's like, well, why honey? And I was like, well, because you have lighter skin and you're beautiful and I want to be like that. And she said that was the first time as a parent that she, it completely broke her heart. And that was the first time as a parent, she realized that we're two different colors. Like she's much lighter than me mm-hmm. and she's not white passing, but she's very, very like, she's fair. A lot of people call it like pill. Mm-hmm. And so, but she does have some brown in her, melanin in her, but she still was lighter. And that was the first time she realized that we were light. So I did have that understanding in my head, but I didn't really get it. But then when we moved to Saudi Arabia, I was holding on to that American identity because that's all I knew, but they wouldn't let me be American because to them, there was no way that I could be a black girl and be American. So I, for a while, pretended that I was not American and they believed me until it came out that I was. And they're like, oh, I guess you kind of are, but we don't really see you that way because you don't act like one. So I became Arab. So to a lot of them, I was just Arab. I was just a black Arab. And that's kind of like how I lived my life. I came back to the States. And believe it or not, I have never grown up around a lot of black people or white white people. 
Mm-hmm. So this is the first time in my life I was around a lot of black people and a lot of white. People. I still have black friends, but it wasn't a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I came back to the States and I was like, wait a minute. They did not see me as black. <laughs> <laughs> like my skin was black, mm-hmm. but they're like, there is something there that we can't quite pinpoint. Mm-hmm. And every now and then they'll say like, oh, you're talking like you're a white person. But I didn't get that very often. Every now and then I would get it. But mm-hmm. most of it was like, who, what? what are you? And when I said, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, they're like, oh, you're an Arab. Okay. So in there, Mm -hmm. even black people, they're like, yeah, you're Arab. Okay. That's fine. So it was, it kind of challenged, you know, who I thought I was. It's so interesting because that's so true. Like, you know, being Indian myself, but then I never grew up in India and growing up in Egypt and, and in Saudi Arabia and Dubai and all those places. And then moving to the States, there always was a, you're not Indian enough, or you're not American enough, or you're not, you know, where do you belong? And I, even till today, when someone's like, where are you from? I'm like, I don't know, like somewhere, like I just, right. You know, <laughs> we don't know. I have no idea. And, you know, it's like, you want to say like, okay, fine. I, I've been in the uh, States, like, you know, for two thirds of my life now. So I guess that's home, but it's still, how do you then, you know, dismiss this other piece of your life that what played such an integral part of who you are, but, you know, you bring up a really important point about identity and how everyone is trying to like put us in a bucket so that they can understand how do I then now engage with you? And that again, brings it back to what you're doing online is that everyone's trying to find a way of like, how do I fit into this, you know, space and how do I engage with certain people? So, you know, from real life of dealing with being, you know, trying to find that sense of belonging, knowing what your identity is or who your identity is, or maybe just being okay with not having a defined identity, you know, and thinking about that and, you know, speaking about that, it just, there's gotta be a lot of imposter syndrome that comes up. And when I talk about imposter syndrome, it really is also about how, as a woman of color in space and technology, being quite young, you know, there must have been a lot of uphill battles that you've had to face being in this space. And and so what is that mindset that you have to have? It was a journey to develop it, but I would say I developed it quite young, but there's one thing I didn't do. Like I didn't create it. There's just something that I was just born with. And that is something that I, I can never take for granted because a lot of people don't have it. And it is just a really deep sense of confidence. Like I always had it at, I talked to my family members who knew me as a kid. I just always had it never, it just Frida was always, I walked in the room and I was like, I own this place. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, I just always had it. And what happened just, you know, to me as being a black girl, it actually humbled me and allowed me to understand that, yeah, mm-hmm. it is my room and it's other people's rooms as well, you know, <laughs> like yeah. all our room. <laughs> and it doesn't take away from my shine as well. And I had to build up a bigger, better confidence. And the reason being is because I just had my confidence just torn down like so, so many mm-hmm. times. And because I didn't belong, I didn't fit. As a kid, I used to relate a lot too. So my mother used to have me read books made by black women or black men, in particular women or black women, because she wanted me to know that I was not alone, that there are many people who are the first to do something, even I'm the second, the third, the 31st, whatever. If, if she can do it, I can do it better. And anytime I ever said, mom, I want to be like her. She's like, no, no, no. You want to be better. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to be like them. You don't know what they got going on. You want the best of what they have and then better and then some. And so I was always raised with that mentality. So when I saw someone like Oprah, I'm like, I want the best of what she has and then better and then more. 
And so that was just my mindset growing up. And I had these books and she used to give me like of little girls that grew up in the Jim Crow era in the United States mm-hmm. of like, you know, black and whites being separated and not being able to be human as a black person or any other person, but in particular in black people, I related so much to those little girls so much. I had no idea when I was looking through those books that I would relate so much to them because this is the time that was like, what, 50 something years ago. I mean, that's not a very long time, but <laughs> yeah, but still I <laughs> at mean, that time, yeah, at that mm-hmm. time was around 50 or something years ago, but still, like you said, it's so important. So I had to like build up my own type of confidence then. That's wonderful that you had this like innate confidence, but ultimately there were still moments where it was being tested and it was being challenged. And so tell me about that. Like, what was it like, you know, when you're building this business for yourself and you're starting this, like, what were the challenges that were coming up that you could pass on that knowledge to other women who are women of color in the space that are trying to build their own businesses? I mean, there's a lot of things that were stacked up against me. And I would say I live in a bubble, but that bubble still is in an an environment and is still affected by an environment. So no matter how much the bubble is strong, it's still affected. And I never view myself as like a strong woman or whatever. I honestly don't like that term because it Mm -hmm. negates me as a human being. And when I go through emotions and it's not taken seriously because I'm a strong person, especially (laughs) being a strong black woman, it's just like, well, okay, what does that mean? You know, (laughs) does that mean I can't be human? And it does actually exactly mean that. And that's why a lot of black women were fighting against that. And we want our femininity back. We want to be dainty. We want to be sexy. We want to be who we are. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I had being really young against me. I've always been the youngest person in the room, a black woman. That's definitely a black, a black person. And then a woman and then a Muslim woman and then a woman who wore the scarf. Mm -hmm. And so I was like very identifiable as someone who does not belong. And I remember in college when I first started getting like, I didn't really think too much of myself. Like I was confident, but I realized I didn't have a lot. Like I just didn't. I didn't understand it. So I was doing a lot of things for the school because I was in the honor society and the honor society director was like, Hey, Frida, we're having a dinner awards, dinner ceremony for the college coming up. Make sure you invite your family. And I was like, sure. Yeah. I'm not inviting my family. So I just going on like setting up the awards, whatever, all the things, helping people with, you know, volunteering, whatever I was doing in college. And she reminded me, she's like, Hey, Frida, make sure you bring your family to the awards. And I'm like, why do you care so much? I just don't get it. And then she reminded me of third and she's like, look, I think this is the moment that you want your family to see everything you've done in college. And I was like, yeah, they can see that without being in the awards ceremony. Like, I don't need that. Come to find out that I won four awards that night and I didn't know that. And they were trying to get me (laughs) to bring my, (laughs) because I didn't know that people are going to win an award. I don't know why Mm -hmm. I didn't click in my head. I -hmm. thought it was like a recognition and a celebration of everything that we've done over the years. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be like a speech and then the dinner and we all have fun. Like I never, it never came into my head that people are going to win an award. I don't know why I never clicked. And this whole time she was trying to have my family be there at the moment where they called my name, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the same night. And the crowd was like, okay, is she going to get the fifth one? <laughs> like <laughs> sit down. Let's we done. It. We're done. Right. We're done. <laughs> But that night was one of the most emotional nights to me because at that moment, I'm no longer in a relationship. But when I was in a relationship, I came home and I was just like bawling my eyes out to him. And I was like, I don't deserve this. This is not me. I'm a fraud. I don't like they don't see me and this is not who I am. And I don't know why I won this. And there's so many other people who deserve this. And I just felt like 
a complete fraud. I felt like I did not like none of this was real. And it wasn't like I was being found out. I was just like, I don't, they're just going to take it. It's going to be taken away. Everything's going to be taken away. And I'm such a terrible person and blah, blah, blah. And I was just crying for a really long time. And he just kept saying, and he was like, Frida, you don't see who you are. I see who you are and many other people do. But for some reason, you're not at that point where you see who you are. And that really hit me. And it was really beautiful for him to say that because I needed that at that moment. And sometimes I think about, you know, moments like that because I have that every now and then where I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? Like, why am I getting this? This doesn't make any sense. And you just feel like other people are doing bigger and better things. And this is not something that's for you. And so it's been like a pretty, I mean, I have moments, like sometimes I feel like a little lonely journey, like <laughs> yeah, doing my own thing. So it's, it's something that I have to work through all the time. Gosh, that's so powerful. I mean, right when you said that, you know, you accepted the awards and everything, but then you went back home and you started bawling and crying and be like, what is going on here? I feel like a fraud. I mean, you know, and, and, and yet like just 10 minutes before we talked about how you have this innate, like self-confidence yep. and how that the two can so live together. And, you know, how much of that has been dictated by the environment, the society, and by the individuals that are in our lives that again, subconsciously are just encouraging this behavior that someone who's a woman of color, someone who is a woman in a space that may there may not be as many of, you know, she doesn't belong there. And so even having that narrative that is being said to yourself of like, okay, I can tell that I'm the only one who looks like me. And that immediately sends a message to our brain and sends a message to our bodies that we don't belong here. So now we have to work extra hard. And so now if we're being recognized for it, how dare we be recognized for it? Exactly. And usually it's like, you are always told like your work, your twice as hard work is normal work for someone else or the lazy work for someone else. Not because it's, you're not good. It's just that society doesn't really see you that way. And I didn't believe I belonged in cybersecurity and what I was doing. Cause I just didn't feel like I was smart enough. And I had a lot of people tell me that what I'm doing, I had to be technical in order to succeed inside of the field. And I remember I was doing like a keynote speech and I was like, I already felt like if someone asked me to be a keynote speaker, that's proof enough that I need, I'm on stage. Like that's it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't need any more. And I was telling my idea to someone about what I was going to do. I'm a huge gamer. I play League of Legends. So I was going to fuge. I, not fuge. Oh my God. That's not an English <laughs> word. <laughs> you know how it's like you just make up word. Yep. I was going to put, uh, I don't even know how to say it now because fuge is my word. Can we add it to dictionary? Like, <laughs> Let's do it. I want to claim this. <laughs> but I was going to combine. It. Right. Trademark it. I was going to combine like my League of Legends gamer experience with how we can use the lessons I learned from gaming to mm -hmm. solve the biggest cybersecurity problems. And one of the biggest cybersecurity problems is the lack of education, awareness, and understanding on both sides, both the technical people and non-technical people. And I was like showing my idea to some people in the industry. And one woman told me, well, I don't know about that. Like, it's not technical enough. You need them to like respect you the first try. And, and then other people are like, well, you know, there's not a lot of women in the field. And if the only woman that they, they see in the field that looks like you is doing something non-technical, then that will allow them to see that, yeah, in, indeed, you know, women aren't actually that technical and it's a man field anyways. 
And so I had that in the back of my head, like, am I not going to be taken seriously? Because I love the technical things. I loved coding. I loved networking. I had a lot of fun, but it wasn't that every single day when I woke up, I wasn't like, yes, how can I make an impact with the world with this? Other people can make a lot of impact with that. For me, it wasn't my passion. It was something fun to do, but I didn't feel like I could create the biggest impact with that. And so that was the huge battle of internally feeling like I wasn't enough. And then going into corporate and having people that just, just tore you down every single opportunity was another whole thing as well. You know, bring up a, a interesting point about talking about the woman who told you that you want to be respected on the first try. And then another one saying that, well, you know, if you show up in a non-technical space and it's only going to deepen and validate that this is a space that women can only enter through. And then with corporate tearing you down, well, I mean, yeah, that's definitely right. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> we all went through that. <laughs> yeah, we all went through that. And so, you know, what I find really interesting though, is that again, it really comes back to that self-awareness piece because, and leaning back into like your own trusting your intuition about this and that feminine energy, like you were talking about is, you know, you built this because you knew that there's a gap here, that there's a space here that needs this. And even if there's like five others are doing it, they're not going to do it the same way that you are showing up. And the fact that as a, a young, you know, black woman who is entering the space, well, who cares how you show up? You're showing up. And that's, that's what people need to see is the fact that you're showing up. And what I'm hearing a lot is these personal biases because of, you know, and that's something that I talk about a lot with my own clients is that when you're getting opinions and when you're getting perspective, yes, some of that is of course from experience and expertise, but a lot of it is also coming from their own internal bias and from their own personal experiences that they're now projecting onto you. So you as a individual that's trying to contribute, you have to decipher between, you know, not filter between what you want to hear and not hear, but yes. filter between, you know, what is bias and what mm -hmm. is fact. So how, how did you kind of weave that through for yourself. I love that you said that because I say this all the time where it's you're not filtering what you want to hear and what you don't want to hear. You will know like honestly I believe we have a deep deep like soul thing where we know when someone's oh, saying yeah. something that's right <laughs> but you're just like I don't want to hear it like and there have been moments in my life where I know they're right but I don't care. I don't want to hear right now. I'm not yep. at the space where I can accept it. I get you. I don't want to talk about it again. Don't and say it again. And you can take accountability for the fact that I recognize I don't want to hear you and it'll be on me for not following through on that. 100%. I would do that. I would literally be like, you are absolutely correct. I It's very difficult for me to hear this. I do not want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it again. And I will change. But right now, I'm not at a place where I can do that. Yeah. I would literally do all that. And it will be a, there's a couple things that I went through in my life where I knew it. But mm -hmm. I would just like, I can't right now. I cannot just, I can't deal with this right now. But that wasn't one of those moments. And so because I didn't, that's when you're like a little bit more in tune with your feminine. I don't believe I'm completely in tune with my feminine, but I do have a side of me that's, I've never been that person that fought against my feminine and felt like I had to be masculine all the time. If I was just a masculine woman, that's completely different. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of women, especially in tech, they may be feminine women or who are in tune with their femininity. Then they get into tech and tech is like, no, you must be na 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 right. right? And then they kind of change and they get lost and they don't know how to understand themselves. For me, I was always had the like F you energy sometimes. Like <laughs> yes, I love the F you energy. <laughs> 
I was like, I am who I am. I'm wearing this dress. I'm wearing pink. I'm doing what I want, even though I always wore black, but it would be like black and pink or something like that. <laughs> and I would like walk around with like my trip pants and my black lipstick and whatever I wanted, like my collar, my little mm-hmm. shack, like everything, everything. Yeah. And people would think like, oh, she's so goth or whatever. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't yeah. matter. I like this outfit. I'm going to wear it. I'm not goth, mm-hmm. but I love it. So I always had that energy. So it actually protected me to keep my feminine energy. So for me, I didn't feel like I knew when to be masculine because business, there are certain business tasks that are very masculine, Yeah. but a lot of businesses fail because even men, they don't have the feminine energy that they need to run a freaking business. (laughs) Right. And uh, you know, I just want to quickly clarify also for audiences that may not even understand the masculine and feminine is that when we're talking about masculine energy, that's the very action oriented tasks, you know, go, go, go always in your head, you know, playing with that ego. And feminine energy is actually allowing that creativity to flow and being really in tune with your intuition and being able to know and tapping into like recognizing like when you need to process and when you need to step on the accelerator. And everyone has this, everyone has the masculine and feminine. It's just a, how much are we tapping into one over the other? And where's that balance coming from? Right. And I feel like for me, I like to think of like my feminine is like 80% and my masculine is like drives the feminine to the goal. Mm, I love so that. So like the feminine is like just, just of course, the whole, always takes the lead. It <laughs> takes away just everything. It's like, whew. And then the masculine is like drives it home. Like, okay, this is the target. This is this, this is that. This is where you need to get it done. So for me, that's how I viewed it. And Isn't I just that felt so true it. for men and women too. Women drive yes. it and men just do the job. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like we set the tone in the household. Yes. We set the tone relations we set the tone in boardrooms like we always set the tone Mm -hmm. and it is for them to go okay I hear you I see you this is what we do with this this is how we execute it then we want to be really clear that this is not like oh only men or only women it's very fluid it's not like men who are like real because I'm a one I'm an alpha because like I'm have an alpha female energy (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is that you know absolutely it's a spectrum and that's where it is that masculine and the feminine energy exists within every single person what however you identify it's that what you're tapping into in terms of like what's your intention behind it exactly yes so for me I've always been okay with that and I didn't really struggle with figuring that out because, and I think it's because I had a mother who was very in tune with that as well. Mm-hmm. And a father who was very in tune with that. Around. So we that just wasn't something that I really struggled with. I was okay with being who I was because I knew that I could get the job done however I showed up. And so I can show up in heels and crush it. I can show up as sneakers and crush it. It doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and you bring up that inter- interesting point about being able to show up however you wanted to. And whether that was with, you know, wearing all black and the pink or wearing heels, wearing whatever it is, but you're not going to have anyone qualify you based off of how you look or how you feel. It's really based off of like the value that you're bringing to the table. Exactly, And that is something that women and women of color really struggle with because they're fighting this battle and this challenge of, I, you know, I want to see my value. I want people to like me. And, you know, by focusing on that, like where, you know, it actually diminishes the fact that like, you're not even thinking about all these accomplishments that you have, all these reasons where you are in that boardroom. And instead of questioning yourself of why am I in the boardroom, recognize that they, everyone's recognized you have what it takes to put yourself there. And so of course I believe in being a constant learner and being like, okay, well, how can I learn from the people that are around me? 
but not at the cost of sacrificing your own competency. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So when they told me that I thought, okay, and this is like a process that I go through. I understand they're coming from their own experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm like, okay, so does this aid my end goal? So it's like, is this a net positive or a net negative comment? Like net positive is at the end of the day, even if it hurts, even whatever, it's a positive result. Or is it a net negative where it could be a really positive comment, but at the end of the day, it's actually a really negative result. So for me, I was like, what is my end goal? I want to create impact. Is this something that's going to allow me to wake up at night? If I'm delivering a keynote speech and I don't feel it, the audience will not feel it. Right. Even if they have no idea, because there are people who watch the keynote and they're like, I don't know anything about gaming. I don't know anything about League of Legends, but I felt it. Or they didn't understand it, but they're like, I see your passion. So it really is, if I can't bring that there, then why am I there? So I appreciated them. And I thought, you know what? It is true for you, but it's not true for me. For what Mm -hmm. you are doing, it matters what some white guy in the boardroom thinks of you. For me, it's not going to matter the same way. It will, but it was not, it's not going to be the same career goals. And then I looked at, is this, does this person where I want to be? Like, is their trajectory and career path in life the what I'm what I'm striving for? If the answer is no, then most likely I'm not going to listen to you when it comes to those career advices. However, if it is a yes, then I will go, okay, what can I take? What can I not? And then also have other people around you that support you. So I talk to other people who are in the industry. I talk to family members. I talk to people who loved me, people in my support circle. And I said, you know what? Here's what this person said. Here's what I think. What do you think? And then giving their background and their understanding and their thoughts and my goals and me, I just wait. And I was like, no, I'm not listening to that. So that's kind of like how I did it. There's so much commitment that I hear in your voice as well. And in your, in, when you speak about like how I, you know, I'm not going to let anyone define how I should show up and that like, I'm really going to learn to trust myself or I know I can trust myself and I will only allow information in again, not from a place of ego or anything and not from a place of, you know, I only want to hear what I want to hear, but from a place of, is this really aligned with me? Because a lot of times when we are young leaders and when we are in a position where we are still continuing to grow in that space, and it may be a little bit foreign to us, we look for outside people to help us navigate that. And like what you said is that if that person has had a one path only, and they haven't ever zigzagged or curved, but yet your path has had a lot of curves in it. They're not going to understand it. And if anything, they're going to diminish it. I remember, you know, I had somebody one time tell me when like I had switched around a couple of jobs, but really great quality work that I was doing. And I had a recruiter once an older white gentleman tell me that, you know, because I've hopped around so much and because of the work that, you know, it seems like you were a therapist and you went into leadership development. Yeah. You're not going to be wanted by a lot of companies. And, you know, literally three months later, I got a job at one of the best companies. Exactly. And then, and then I built my own company. <laughs> Let's go. Let's so, how we do it. You know, and that's the thing is that if I let that energy come into me where he was essentially telling me that you're not good enough, then, you know, it would have deterred me from what my goal was and where I knew I needed to go. So I really love that you brought that up. Something else that you mentioned, and I want to ask this is what is your hope? Like, you know, when you say that you want to make this impact and as a rising leader yourself and someone who has your own business and, you know, a team for yourself, 
how do you mentor other women in technology? How do you, you know, want to show up as a leader and be a role model for them? I would say just to quickly add on to the point before, and it will contribute to the next answer is one big thing that I'm missing because I'm really spiritual person is Mm -hmm. prayer and praying at night and in the morning. And that's one big thing that I believe anyone who's spiritual, if you're not spiritual, it's completely different. For me, I I strongly believe in there's a higher power because I'm Muslim. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that in a law of attraction in in the general universe, right? And so for me, I believe I always have to be aligned. So if something is not aligned to my vision and mission, I can't do it. I don't have a huge community, but I have a couple requests in my inbox that are not aligned to what I want to do. They're really, really awesome. They're really great opportunities but they're not aligned with what I want to do. And I have to say no, because it's going to take away my energy from what I need to do. And so a lot of what I do is I pray and I know that I will not ever be misguided. So I pray and then I make the best decision for me. So no matter what happens, even if it's a wrong decision, I will never be misguided in my pursuit of my mission and my goal. So that's the one big thing. And for me, when other people are, it's so weird to think of other people looking up to me, but- (laughs) (laughs) But, but they are. <laughs> yeah, but they are. It's like, it's really, really beautiful. One thing is I always want them to make sure that I'm the right fit for them because sometimes people get really excited and I'm not sure if I'm answering your, your question correctly, but they get really excited with me. Like, they're just like, oh, and you did this, and you did this. And I'm like, yeah, but are we aligned? Because mm-hmm. like where I'm going, it may not be where you're going. And for me also, I believe I have a huge purpose on earth. Like, I don't believe that I was just created to like do whatever I want to do. And then I just die. And then who knows what happens? Like it just, (laughs) it just doesn't. And I can't imagine not knowing what I was created for. Like I just, Mm -hmm. it, I don't know. I don't know how I could live, honestly, because for me, every single day I was here for a purpose. And my purpose is to do good on this earth and to worship the one God that I believe in and then to die Muslim and mm-hmm. hopefully go to heaven. Like, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. I, if I get reincarnated as a horse, then whatever. So be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I have a purpose. That's a general purpose that I have. But then my real task was like figuring out what do I need to do with that? time that I have here. And I really believe that it all stemmed back to like adding puzzle pieces as I grew up. What did I love when I was a little kid? And we Mm -hmm. always forget that the reason why a lot of us have such a hard time finding our passion and purpose is because it was beat out of us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But if it was never, you would never have a hard time. We know what it is. What did you love as a kid? What did you stay up all night for? For me, it was psychology. It was technology. Mm -hmm. It was human behavior. It was language. It was connecting, connecting with people. It was showing people how to build confidence or build within themselves. Like I literally used to do that as a kid. Like I would teach people as a kid, like, okay, this is how you fight against bullies. And if she comes (laughs) to you, then don't say like, (laughs) right. That's how I used to do all the time as a kid. So that's what I do right now. Absolutely. I mean, I'm literally over here just like being like, oh my God, yes, preach, keep going, keep going. Because a couple of things, something I believe in as well is the universe and the law of attraction. And I'm a huge believer in that. Huge. When something feels uncomfortable, your body will tell you because you will start to feel anxious. You may be irritable, you might get moody, and you're going to get flustered. And so when that is, it's because you're not following what you actually innately know about yourself. The second piece is I know this for myself, that every time I've made a decision about what I'm going to do, like when I left corporate to go ahead and build my own company, it was within a matter of a few weeks, I got like 
four other job interviews line, you know, where people are coming into me and, and it was a test from the universe to see that, do you really want this? How focused are you? How committed are you? And when you waver, the universe will waver and it'll give you mixed messages. So to be able to say no and take that risk. And essentially what I see that as is what you did, Frida, and what I'm doing and what a lot of other people doing is that you're believing in yourself. You're believing that you absolutely have what it takes to make it. And you know what? At the end of the day, if something doesn't work out, then there are other options. It's endless. There's an endless abundance in this world. Absolutely love what you shared about that. And you know, the other piece about alignment and, you know, even when we think about mentors is that you may find someone where you see them from the surface, you've heard them speak here and there, and you think, wow, I want them to be my mentor. Well, do you really know what they're like? You know, do you really understand their human behavior? Do you understand how their hobbies are, the passions or habits are? And it's a lot of pressure for the person who's saying, you know, I, who's being asked to be a mentor. And so I always say that it's important to first just get to know somebody and see that, is this something that, and, you know, if someone is trying to figure out where they're trying to go, yes, absolutely have lots of conversations and then find the ones that really stick out to you that know that, yes, this is the path I want to go through. And it's okay to also outgrow those mentors. Yeah, definitely. It's so important. One of the things that I wanted to ask, and this is how I like to end my episodes with is again, you know, the experiences that you've had as a third culture kid, the experiences that you've navigated knowing, and and I love what you also talked about, you know, as a kid, we know exactly what it is, but it's beaten out of us because of the shoulds, the must, you know, and all the practicalities of life. Right. So, I mean, if it's up to me, to be honest, I would be a philosopher sitting and just talking about like ancient Greek and ancient (laughs) Egypt all day long, but you know, there is a thing called money, right? We have to make that, (laughs) but that's where I agreed with you. It's like, I can't imagine my life not having some form of an impact in this world. And typically I think that that also comes from a place where we had someone who believed in us so much that allowed us to know that we can believe in ourselves and we keep passing that down. So what I want to know from you is that what are the characteristics that you would think are of an unapologetic woman? Oh, gosh, unapologetic. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great question. I love this. I would say an unapologetic woman is first unapologetic to herself first. And I think it's a constant theme that we have like in this conversation. And I know that you have as well is it's really first starts internally Mm -hmm. and it's not that you're not apologizing for things that you need to apologize for because a real unapologetic woman knows when to actually apologize we're not saying narcissistic we're saying unapologetic unapologetic (laughs) like this is me and you're gonna take it or leave it Mm -hmm. and and it's really someone who is in a constant pursuit of learning constant pursuit of self-betterment self-investment and really, really working to figure out in depth who she is. And when you're that person, you automatically start exuding that type of confidence and showing your alignment to the universe by saying no to other things that you is not aligned to you. So you will be like, no, that's not who I am. No, I don't do that. And that's in it to the outside world. It's like, oh, she doesn't care. She's unapologetic, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, I'm unapologetic because I know me. And I'm saying no, because that doesn't fit me. And no means yes, honestly, in general. Yes to the persons you're saying no to and yes to yourself first. So that's how I would describe an unapologetic woman. Amazing. And who has that been for you? 
honestly, I would say it's going to be a couple people. First, my mother, as she's healing through her own journey, so she's going through her healing journey. Mm-hmm. So to me, she's always been like an unapologetic woman. She's always been who she is. She's going to say what she says. And then also my own higher self, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I have a version of me who I'm not yet, who's kind of guiding me. I think, I think you know what I mean, right? It's It's like your future version. Right. And she's just like, no, I know what happens on the other end. It's okay. You got this. And so that's the unapologetic. And I call her Miss Billionaire. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just like, absolutely not. You're going to get through this. You don't feel like doing that. That's fine. Keep doing it or take Mm -hmm. a nap and then do it again. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I would say that. And then And then wrapping it all up in one, I would say all of my mentors, all of my coaches, those are the people who I've literally, I always say every public win you see was a million private wins with my coaches, with my mentors, my support group. And it was just an extension of that because I would never be where I am today without my support group, without my mentors, my coaches, it's their everything. And then my Miss Billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. You know, I, it's so interesting. I have every guest answer that question. And lately that future version or that version of yourself has been coming up quite a bit in the description. And I find it really interesting because it's, typically the millennials and younger that are saying that. And you don't hear that from the, from some of my older guests that are from the gen X. And I love that because it really is embodying the fact that I have everything in myself to succeed. I just need to tap into this and I need to own my own power and not give it away so easily, which women as you know, being known as healers, being known as givers, being known as the ones that sacrifice, even that conversation and that word association needs to shift because it's okay for a woman to stand her ground and say, no, thank you. I'm good. So I've had such an incredible time talking to you. I want everyone to know how they can, you know, connect with you. What's the best platforms if they want to reach out to you? Where is that? My Instagram account, Cyberfrida. So I think you'll be putting in show notes, show notes. So they'll be mm-hmm. fine with that. In terms of connecting with Instagram, it's Cyberfrida, Twitter, Cyberfrida, Clubhouse, Cyberfrida. <laughs> <laughs> and to keep everything in one, because I have a couple of emails, but if someone does want to email me, I rarely give this email out, but I think it, it fits. It's Cyberfrida at gmail.com. And then you can email me there. And then I'll, I have a couple of websites, but cyberfrida.com is another one. So I'll just keep all Cyberfrida. <laughs> That's how you can reach out to me. I love yeah. it. Thank you, Farida, so much for being here. I honestly have had such a great time talking to you. And I'm so glad that, you know, I met you and, you know, you really are an incredible, fierce, unapologetic woman yourself. So um, I'm, you. I know the audience is going to love everything that you've talked about and shared. Thank you, Payal. I really, really love that you have me here. Like this has been a beautiful conversation. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, 
and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.